0: Indeed, O oh God, there is no trouble that heaven ever has singing the glories of the God who has created and the God who has redeemed. Their voices are lifted. Their, voices are, their mouths are opened. Their hearts are full. They sing glory to the God who alone deserves it, the thrice-holy One. And I pray, O oh God, from Your people, You will find the same, the same full heart the same open mouth, the same glad lips that have the privilege of singing that which is so true about the Savior's arrival. Oh God, from the very beginnings of time, it was your intention to redeem a people. And through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Solomon and <clears throat> Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the way through to that grand and glorious night where angels bent low on that midnight clear to announce that a humble virgin had given birth to the one who would one day conclude his life on a cross. Oh God might stories such as these that are so dear to all of Your people well up within us such such amounts of praise that Heaven would hear and be glad. Our Father, it is our delight to hear our songs being sung in malls all over the city of Memphis. On FM 100 and... Rock 103, they're all playing it. They're all talking about Mary, do you know? They're talking about joy to the world. And they understand it not. Father, this is our season. The season of the people of God who have such great opportunities to point people in the direction of the only one who can give meaning to life. And not only that, the only one who can give hope after death. And I pray, O God, that you will use this small band of believers to influence this community in such a way that they will never be the same. That they will see and hear what we have seen and heard. That Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. That He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we're the lost ones, Lord who have been found by grace. And now, O God, use us to find other lost ones and point them in the direction of the one that we believe is altogether lovely. Now, Father, accept our gifts. Big, medium, large, gigantic. None of them compare to the gift of eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, I got new glasses this week. Um, They must be wrong. um, Because if I'm not mistaken, that was Ed Scanlon playing a uh, banjo. (laughs) Oh, if the Navy could only see you now, Ed. Uh, (laughs) That was wonderful. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them uh, with me. Return with me to the book of Judges. And we'll conclude our at least our look at the life of Samson. So, here we are at Judges chapter 16. Let's begin reading at verse 23. You follow as I read. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to get Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this one, so God, that I may with one blow... Take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaal in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel twenty years. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Last week we um, left Samson in verse 21. Where we uh, left him uh, blind and bound and grinding. <laughs> what a picture. What a picture of how a Satan keeps his promises. He promises this, but he gives that. He promises gold, and it's always fool's gold. The champion of Israel is now the laughing stock of all of his enemies. The hero, the hero of so many fights has now been defeated. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a feast that is going on in the temple of Dagon here. I mean... Um, don't you remember that he, that is, Samson was supposed to lead Israel to defeat the enemies of God? But instead, what his life has done is given rise, given cause to a celebration of all the deliverance of Dagon for heaven's sake. These people are having a great time celebrating their idol because of Samson remember the story when David impregnated Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet came to him and I read that story and I, and I, you know, I think it's mentioned from pulpits all across America again and again but um, there's one little line in it where Nathan finally exposes David as the adulterer and uh, Nathan takes his bony little finger and sticks it in David's face and accuses him and tells him he's the man but then there's one other thing that Nathan says and he says, um, David... You have given occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. That's the lowest part of the whole story for me. David, do you know what you've done? You've given cause for the enemies of God to blaspheme. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what's going on here. What Samson has done is given occasion. There's a celebration going on. Let's celebrate the deliverance of Dagon, for heaven's sakes. There he is. He's bound and gouged and sightless and doing the work of a dumb brute beast. And the crowds love it. They love to laugh at him. He's the entertainment. Call for Samson and let's laugh at him, son. Let's see him do some tricks. He's a spectacle. He's their, he's their prize exhibit. And, and you'll notice that he's led about by one little lad That in verse 26. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Isn't that pitiful? I mean, here was this mighty man, you know, now he's being led by a little boy around by the hand. You see, gang, that's what sin does. This, this shaven man is a picture of so many who were once mightily used by God I've seen them, ladies and gentlemen, and so have you. I've seen them in the ministry. I've seen them in the singles ministry. I've seen them in missionaries. uh, They've come into this awful bondage. Great dishonor has befallen them and their Christ because of their sin. This is a picture, ladies and gentlemen, of of how life can end up, a life that attempts to find its its meaning in anything else other than devotion to Christ. You know, um, if you're out there and you're saying, uh, you're single and you want to be married and you say, if I could only have her, Or if there's a job that you really, if, if I could just get that job, I would really be happy. Or uh, there's a house out in, uh, out in uh, somewhere. If if we could just buy that house, then we would really be happy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a misguided life. It's a life that's that thinks that the way to fill the vacuum that you sense is through something other than Jesus Christ. And that's what Samson did. He, he sought to add significance and meaning to his life through women. And this is how it ended up. But surely, or hopefully, hopefully, Hopefully you didn't miss what was stated in verse 23, did you? I didn't read it this morning, but I read it last week. Do you see it? However, the hair of his head began to grow again. That's a very significant statement, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, it's it's kind of a pivotal statement. You look at Samson and all of his humiliation, and you wonder, is there any hope for this man who blew it so badly? Is there any hope for the shorn? And what verse 23 is, is the first hint, I think, of what uh, John Piper would call future grace. There's a hint, there's a ray of light, there's, there's there's a bit of hope. Oh, his hair... Has begun to grow again. Unnoticed by the Philistines, Samson's hair begins to grow again. And at first there was only stubble, and then a a little crew cut looking thing, and then he could feel that it was getting longer, and there were strands of hair that began to grow on Samson's head. And ladies and gentlemen, what I'm suggesting is what you have here in this text is a picture of a gracious God who gradually restores somebody, one of His own, who blew it and blew it badly. It's a picture, ladies and gentlemen, of God restoring though, And I hate the word because it's been so abused... But it's a biblical word, and that would mean that I'm wrong. But um, it's a picture of God beginning to restore somebody who is backslidden. The Bible uses that word, backslidden Israel. The, The hair was shaved off. But one thing that the Philistines couldn't do was take the roots out. And if Samson was genuinely who we thought he was, a child of God, if there was a real work of regeneration upon his heart, it will begin to show again. And it does. Samson can hope again because grace, grace is greater than all of his sin. There's some hints of this restoration in the text. First of all, the growing of the hair. Now, guys, I've said this before probably too many times, but, you know, the the clipping of the hair wasn't the thing that made Samson weak. The hair was just an outward symbol of an inward devotion. And so the hair beginning to grow is that symbol of devotion beginning to be rekindled in the soul of Samson. Secondly, you can see that Samson finally recognizes that he's utterly powerless. He turns to the little boy who can't even see. Him. He says, could you, could you put my hands between the two pillars? And then he cries out to God, give me strength one more time, which is a good sign. Finally, Samson understands that whatever strength that he had was not resident within him. It was something that God gave him. And in that prayer of Samson, he uses three different names of God. A prayer very much like the one Jonah prayed in the belly of a whale. What is a prophet of God doing in the belly of a whale? Well, what is a prophet of God doing in the temple of Dagon? And what are the people of God doing in somebody's foreign bed? And what are the people of God doing in jail? And what are the people of God doing gambling and in front of an internet screen? Looking at things, what are what on earth are they doing there? You know, gang. My pastoral experience is somewhat limited. I've been in the ministry twenty-seven years. This summer, and um, really, it's been my involvement over the last sixteen, seventeen years that has allowed me to see so much of what I'm describing. I, I've seen it in the singles ministry. I've seen it. In, I've, I've seen it in um, church planting. I've seen it at denominational meetings where you find this person who once used to delight in in the things of God and the work of God and the words of God and can't wait for for Sundays to roll around and then without explanation there's a disappearance. Where did did so-and-so go? Well, you know, I don't know. know. I hadn't seen them in a couple, three months. I don't know where they went, but... We, we look for them, we call, and they're gone. They're inexplicably gone for months. And then certain rumors begin to waft their way back into my office about, did you hear about what happened to you? And then without explanation, the phone rings, or there's a phone call, or, they're, they're, or this same person shows up on a Sunday morning and sits on the back row. their hair is beginning to grow. And, and as it gets longer, you begin to see things in them that, you know, it, it had disappeared. They begin to to bring a Bible to church. A, you know, the thing that used to be the pedestal for their lamp in their living room. That had collected so much dust. I, 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 maybe I shouldn't pause to tell you this story, but I never forget one time in my office years ago... There was a young man who had disappeared and returned and and, um, uh, he was talking to me about what he had done and all this business and he was sitting on the couch and I was sitting on a chair and and, uh, I had my Bible in my lap and and I I opened my Bible to a passage and I gave him my Bible and I said, now now read this. And his reaction was absolutely physical. He went, The book scared him. Because he knew that contained therein were denouncements of what he had done. But as the hair begins to lengthen, oh, that book that once contained so many convictions of what I had done has now become my only source of hope. You see her, you see her showing little interest in the company that just a few weeks ago, she was running with. The hair is getting longer and longer. No longer do the, does the company of the Philistines bring delight? And you watch as a new sobriety seems to sweep over their soul. And they've got a handful of fool's gold. But the old sparkle begins to return to their eyes. And you can see a different countenance on their face. And, and, a, and a different sound that comes out of their mouth. Because the process of restoration has begun by a God of grace. Now, guys, I I say this again. This is saying this one too many times, but the hair length of Samson has nothing to do with his strength. It's just a symbol of devotion. But as the hair length, as the hair gets longer. It's it's an indication that he has returned to that place of submission and yieldedness to the God that he once served. When he lost his hair, he lost his devotion. And when he gains his hair back, the devotion is restored. And the only way back for those who have blown it, ladies and gentlemen, is to reestablish that devotion to the God that they genuinely love. Underneath all of the failure, ladies and gentlemen, in the belly of a whale, there resided a man that underneath all of his rebellion was a man who truly loved the living God. Underneath all of his profligate living, this blind man in the temple of Dagon, underneath all of that is a heart that longs to be right with his God again. Do you feel your hair growing? Those who have blown it, do you feel that the hair, do you, do you feel new spiritual life pulsing within your soul? Good. Good. But let me, let me remind you, gang, there can be no getting around in this story that Samson suffered. Huge consequences of his sin, yes. But, a God of grace is restoring and even sees fit to use Samson again in a redemptive purpose. In fact, in Samson's death, the victory was greater than all that he had experienced before in life. He finally accomplishes what He was designed to accomplish in the first place. And even in this sad scene, God's mercy is highlighted. It's underscored. Being cast down does not mean that He's cast out. Now guys, this this process of restoration, I, I should warn you, it is just that, a process. Forgiveness is immediate. But it is a process. I I read an article one time that a study had been done by the National Institute of Banking. And the National Institute of Banking discovered that if you miss one mortgage payment, it is three times as hard to pay it back the next month. If you miss two mortgage payments, it's six times harder. It doesn't go up arithmetically. It goes up geometrically. The point is... The further you get away, the further you get away from the living God, the harder it is to get back, but you can and you must. It takes a while. But you can. And I say this to you as well, there are no shortcuts. There is no spiritual rogaine. But God loves to give grace where he finds hands that are empty. I I conclude, ladies and gentlemen, with just, let me summarize what I'm saying today. Two things. Gang, I want to warn the people of God that sin does not pay It is an evil thing and it is a bitter thing to wander away from the Lord God. And though Samson's hair grew again and his strength came back and he died gloriously fighting the enemies of God, he could never again rise to that place of leadership that he once enjoyed. Yes, he did deliver Israel finally. But he never got his sight back He died in a rubble. Whatever the grace of God may be for us, ladies and gentlemen, it can never make sin a right thing or a safe thing or a a permissible thing. It's evil and it's only evil. It should be a warning to us, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the other part. Even in this Downfall, God is rich and full of grace and mercy to Samson. Never forget that, my dear friend, even from the temple of Dagon, you might you can cry out, even from the belly of a whale, even from the faraway country what What did the prodigal son hear? What did Jonah hear? What was the response to Samson? Grace upon grace in the depths of their despair, from the inside of a jail, from the midst of somebody's bedroom that you shouldn't be in. We cry out in the midst of our despair, and what is there waiting us? Grace. Oh, but you say, Samson didn't deserve God's grace. Well, what else is new? Is there any of us that ever earned and deserved anything from God? One man said that man is born broken, he lives his life mending, and the glue is the grace of God. One quick story and I'm finished. You may have heard some of this if you're any kind of Civil War buff. I I would like to deem myself that, but I'm really not. But there's a story that... uh, Is a part of the whole Civil War story that, you know, the the North had a tough time finding a leader. They went through several, uh, several generals, uh, uh, McClellan and Meade, I think, were a couple. They might have gone through some more. But they finally landed on Ulysses S. Grant. And uh, Ulysses S. Grant, of course, led them to victory. But Grant had a big problem. You know what it was? He drank too heavily. In fact, a, a part of the story is that Lincoln was once uh, told that your general, Grant, uh, drinks way too much. And Grant's re- I mean Lincoln's reply was, if you could tell me what kind of liquor he drinks, I'd like to send him a case. But on one occasion, the, it seemed that things had uh, kind of culminated in a very embarrassing scene at the Battle of Shiloh where it was said and reported and proven, apparently, that Grant, during the Battle of Shiloh, was drunk. And so one of Lincoln's best friends, a man by the name of A.K. McClure, came to see Lincoln at 11 o'clock one night, and he came on a mission representing several other Republican congressmen, and um, trying to convince Lincoln that the public uh, opinion had turned against Grant, and that Lincoln must dismiss him and restore confidence in the presidency. And McClure spoke to him, and McClure said that he was never interrupted, spoke to him for over two two hours as to reasons why Grant should be dismissed. And then... Lincoln rocked back in his chair, thought about it for a, a long time, and then he replied this way, and I'm quoting from A.K. McClure. Lincoln remained silent for what seemed a very long time. He then gathered himself up in his chair and said, in a tone of earnestness that I shall never forget, I can't spare this man. He fights. He may look seedy, he may have trouble with booze, popular opinion may stand against him, but he fights. You see, Grant's one redemptive quality was that he fought. And what I'm suggesting is, ladies and gentlemen, at the close of this story about Samson, I think you and I have hit upon the one redeeming quality of Samson. And that is, He takes us to the cross. Because, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of Samson's death, there is victory. Deliverance for God's people. And what did it cost? His death. Just like Jesus Christ. In the midst of that death, ladies and gentlemen, there is deliverance for the people of God. Jesus died. Father, I do pray that Your people will be duly warned about the wickedness of sin. But I also pray, O God, that they would be reminded that there is no sin that overtakes You, that Your grace is greater than all our sin, and that even from the temple of Dagon, we can cry out and find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Father, I pray for those in this room who are in that situation right now. Convince them that grace awaits them. And for those whose hair is just beginning to grow, I pray that You would indeed encourage them that Samson was forgiven, restored, and even used in a redemptive purpose. And so can we. Oh, might this be the grandest of news to the people of God who unfortunately have blown it, but fortunately have a God who is never overtaken by the sin of His people. Might we find ourselves moving back towards that God who loved us in Christ Jesus. Prepare us now for the sacrament, Lord God. Might it be a reminder of the very cornerstone of our faith that the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ means new life for us. We pray in Jesus' name.